You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. But I do have a, a word that, that I felt so strongly that I wanted to share today. And, um, and uh, anybody know what's happening in a couple of days? Got something just a little bit, little bit important coming up. We're in the, the last weekend of our We the People series, focusing on um, this country, where she came from, what she stands for, and what our roles and responsibilities are when it pertains to government and politics and how the church should be, should be an influence in those areas. And I specifically wanted to speak today on the, the subject of authority. The, uh, the Constitution of the United States was, uh, was penned, was written in 1787, and it established the authority of the government, not with a king, not with an emperor, not with a, a select few group of people, but it established the authority of this government with the people. We, the people. And this was a departure from what had happened up until then. It was a departure from the feudal lords and leaders. It was a departure from uh, things that, that would consolidate power with just one or two people, or maybe just a small group of people. And this was actually a reversal from what Israel, when it first became a nation, uh, the, the direction that they went, they actually rejected God's authority. They rejected God as their ruler, and they said, we want to lift up ourselves a king like the other nations around us. They got kind of jealous of what the other nations had and didn't look at what God had intended for them. They didn't look at, at the authority that they already had under God, and God had appointed judges to, to rule over them, to, not to rule over them, but to guide them, because God was to be their king, and the judges were there to assist them, to help them, but the authority... Uh, was transferred because of the will of the people. In Romans 13.1, it says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. The authorities that God establishes are based in part on the will of the people. That's why when it came to the nation of Israel, it wasn't God's intent that they have a king, but because they kept asking for it, because they kept saying, we want a king, we want to be like everyone else, God relented from his perfect will, God relented from him being the sole supreme authority over them to giving the people what they wanted. That's why it's so important right now that as we come into this election, we realize that the authority is with us. That we, the people, have the authority in this country. Now, we elect representatives, but the representatives do not have the authority unless we give it to them. The representatives are there to represent the authority, which is us. So we need to understand that if we want to keep the authority, then we need to continue to elect representatives who realize that fact. That they are not the supreme authority that God is the supreme authority, and they are elected to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. They are elected to support and defend the authority that is based on the people. They are elected to support and, and, and support and defend the authority that God has established in this country. So it's so important, if we want to consist as a republic, that is, a, is an organization, is a government that is founded by the people and for the people, that we need to elect people and we need to, to push forward agendas that will support that fact. Now, it just so happens that the U.S. is the oldest nation 
that is incorporated under one article, the U.S. Constitution. It sounds kind of crazy because we're far from the oldest nation on the planet. There's been plenty of other nations that are much older than us. And there's, we're actually not the first democracy or not the first republic, but we're the longest running. Why is that? Why are we the longest running republic under one article of incorporation? And I think the answer to that question, and also the title of this message, is we God's people. Not just we the people, but we God's people. When a people will come together and lift up the Lord, Jehovah, as their king, as their priest, and, th and we will say that we want to be under his authority, that he is the supreme ruler. And when we can do that for 244 years, like we have in this nation, then we have some staying power. Because we know it's not about us, it's not about our will, it's his will. It's thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we as a nation need to continue to support his will, not our will. That we have the authority because we honor him. We have the authority because he established it, like it said in that scripture. God establishes the authority, and it's based in part on the will of the people. So the will of the people needs to be to continue to promote his will, to continue to defer to his will, to defer to his judgment, not to our own judgment, not to just what we need or what we want, that we need to look at the good of the nation based on God's will and God's principles. And that's what we're going to do today. This message is, is two parts, but it's not going to be part one and then part two. It's kind of two parts mixed together, a solution. So I'm going to need your help. Ready? Ready? We're going to work together on this. We're going to look back at some of the principles upon which this nation was founded, founded and established. And I'm going to compare that to some biblical principles. And you'll find that there's some interesting parallels. And I also want to highlight today where those principles apply to our lives. So my job is to equip you with the tools that you need to live and walk in a godly life. And your job, your part, somebody say my part, my part is to apply those principles to my life, to look at where in my life I can apply these biblical principles and the principles that, that show where this nation was established and founded and how does that apply to me today? Because it, it would be fine if I just got up here and gave you a history lesson, but I don't want to just leave you with some knowledge. I actually want to give you something that you can take and you can apply to your life and that you can use right here, right now. Somebody say amen. 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 So we're going to actually look at, um, and it was up there before, the preamble, the preamble to the Constitution. Most of you have heard this or uh, read it in some part, the preamble to the Constitution. But as I was reading this, I was just struck at some of uh, the parallels that happen in the, that, that are shown in this, just the, 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 pref the preface to the Constitution. This isn't even actually the meat of the Constitution, but what the preamble does is it sets up the goals. It sets up the foundation for the rest of the document. The seven articles of the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, all of that are, are based on this foundation. So we're going to read this together. Pre preamble to the U.S. Constitution. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. How powerful is that one sentence? One sentence that sets up the entire framework for the rest of the Constitution and for our nation as a whole. 
And, I, and, and as I was digging into this, I just saw that there was, it, like, so many things just jumped out to, at me as, as powerful. And um, it was, and I don't know if the, the writers of the Constitution, the, the people who penned this, um, were looking specifically at this verse when, when they wrote it. But in Proverbs 9.1, it says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. And that was interesting to me. Interesting to me. Why seven? Why? Why do you need specifically seven pillars? And uh, and I just kind of started to go on a search uh, for that. And this is this has happened over the last ten years when God kind of sh- highlighted that verse for me and spoke it to me. What's that? I had a prophecy about the rocks. I don't remember what she's talking about. But anyway, I had a prophecy about a rocks. But um, apparently, it'll come back when it's needed. I was picking up rocks. I had rocks in my pocket. I don't know where this is going. <laughs> so why seven pillars? Well, you think about, okay, nobody would build a house with one pillar, right? Just one pillar. It doesn't really make sense. It looks weird. And it's, it's naturally unstable. One pillar would be unstable. Two pillars is a little bit better. But there's still some, some neutral instability. You know, it might be strong from one direction, but if, it comes, if, you, if a wind comes from another direction, you don't have the stability anymore. So, so most people generally say you need at least three. You need at least three pillars to have some semblance of structure and stability, right? Does that make sense to everybody? At least three pillars. You know, four is better and the more is better, but, but so why seven? And what, what God showed me in this is that if you only had three pillars, only had three support s- systems, three places of structure, what happens when one of those gets damaged? What happens when one pillar gets damaged? You go back to a place of instability. And so the reason why wisdom has seven pillars, and, and, and that's how she's built her house, and what, we're gonna, what I'm going to show you is that there's actually seven principles in the preamble to the Constitution, is that several of those pillars, four, maybe even five pillars, can be damaged, can be deficient, can be missing, and the house will still stand. Do you understand? So even if something, some principles, some pillars, some of the foundation comes under attack, then you can still subsist as a solid house. And what we find here today is that several of the pillars, several of the principles that were outlined in the preamble to the Constitution are under attack or are or, or outright broken down. So we're going to look at some of those today. We're going to look at it from a place of of what we need to repair, what we need to protect, and what we need to promote moving forward, both on the local, the state, and the national level. And especially as we come into the elections, I want you to be thinking about, um, as you prepare to vote, are you going to vote for candidates that will support the principles on which this nation was established? And the first one of those, a more perfect union, a more perfect union. So I want to I do this. I know I'm running short on time, but I, I want to do a little pop quiz. Pop quiz. Who likes pop quizzes? Anybody? Some people do. Wow. That's weird. <laughs> how, many, how many stripes are on the American flag? 13. Good job. And what do those stripes represent? Original 13. You guys are so good. Okay. No, next question. Next question. On the biblical side, how many tribes of Israel are there? Twelve. Come on. You guys are on top of this. All right. Next one's going to be a little bit trickier. How many individual territories were assigned to the tribes when Israel took possession of the promised land? 
Seven, ooh, seven. That's, hey, I like your gusto. It's wrong, but I like your gusto. <laughs> good answer, good answer. I like that shirt too, it's incredible. All right, let me, let me show you. All right, Numbers 26. So we said there were 12 tribes, right? But uh, the tribe of Levi, the priesthood, didn't have a territory assigned, right? Because they were supposed to be in and among the other tribes. So Levi didn't have a specific assigned territory. So that's 12 minus 1 is? Oh, you guys are so smart. Now, Joseph, and it's probably showing up here. So Joseph, you won't find on this map. Joseph was split into two different tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, because Joseph had, was given the birthright of the oldest son because the oldest son, Reuben, made some mistakes, and Joseph elevated himself by, by serving the other tribes. It was because of Joseph that the nation existed down in Egypt so that they could actually move into the promised land. So if you look at this map and you count them out, you'll find there's actually 13 there's 13 tribes, or 13 specific territories assigned to the tribe because Manasseh was split into two. When, when Israel came into the Promised Land, before they even crossed the Jordan River, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, and Manasseh decided they wanted their territories on the east side. So Manasseh was split into two, and you'll see 13 distinct tribe, tribal areas on that map. How many colonies were there? 13. How many territories? Interesting, interesting. Did you know there was actually 12 original colonies, but one of those colonies was split into two? You know which one? North and South Carolina. 12 colonies, one split into two to make 13. 12 tribes, one split into two to make 13 territories. Interesting. It goes a little bit deeper. The population of Israel, when they came into this nation, uh, in the Bible, Numbers 26, it says there was about 600,000 plus fighting men. And then you also had the women and children and the Levites that weren't counted in that number. So historians say that there potentially could have been anywhere from 1.5 to 3.5 million people in the nation of Israel. So we'll split the difference. We'll call it uh, 2.5 million. 2.5 million people in the nation of Israel. I did a, a, a search on Wikipedia, and I found that for the 13 original colonies, it's estimated that there were 2.4 million people. Interesting. So why do I, I share all this with you? Well, like Jared, I'm a numbers guy, and I think this is kind of fun. <laughs> but I also want to show you that there's parallels between the nation of Israel when it was established and our nation when it was established. And the importance of the union is that none of these tribes and none of these colonies knew that they could do it on their own. They actually needed to stick together. They actually needed to be united. They needed to band together. Israel had to depose of and defeat 31 kings in that territory. We in the U.S., we only had to get rid of one, but we had to push out together. We knew that we couldn't stand against a tyrannical king on our own as an individual colony, so we had to be the United States, and it's under that banner that united we stand today. The second principle, establish justice. Establish justice. I've never seen in my life law and order come under more attack than it has over the last six months. It's incredible to me that even in this nation, we actually had another nation that was formed inside of our nation. It didn't last very long, the nation of Chaz, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone in the, in the downtown area of Seattle. But it's because of a lack of law and order that that nation was, was 
blown away in a matter of weeks. There was theft, there was murder, there was violence, there was mob rule. You actually need law in order to have a nation that establishes more than two weeks. A nation that lasts longer than it takes to write a constitution or to, to establish a system of government. They didn't even have a system of government. It was anarchy and it was gone like the wind in a matter of weeks. In Mark, excuse me, Matthew 12, 18 to 21, it says, look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. God is a God of justice. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. So important that because in so many other forms of, of government, it is, it is mob rule. It is dictatorship. It is stamping out the weak link. It is, it is uh, silencing those who, uh, who want to have a voice but can't get it out, but not in his government. In his government, he will not even crush the, re- the weakest reed, and his name will be the hope of the world. Justice is not simply a one-way street. It's not justice if an entire group of fe- people feel oppressed or condemned or neglected. But here's, here's the deal, and, and this, this may sound a little strange, but we don't need to fight for justice. Hang on a second. Isn't justice a good thing? Yes, justice is a good thing, but we don't need to fight for justice. Why is that? Because it says right there in verse 20, finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. It's not our responsibility to be a social justice warrior. It's our responsibility to elevate the name of Jesus and let him make justice be victorious because our justice pales in comparison. It doesn't even touch. It can't even come close to his justice. We may see from our perspective, but it's impossible for us to see from everyone else's perspective. It's impossible for us to live the lives of somebody who grew up downtown, grew up homeless, grew up addicted. It's impossible for us to know every single story. So we can't provide perfect justice for them. There's only one person who can provide perfect justice justice for all of us, and that is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He is perfect justice. We just need to give him room to work. The next pillar is domestic tranquility, aka peace. And this is such a powerful passage of scripture that I think highlights this so well. Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to draw from this what what it means to have his peace and what's blocking his peace from coming. So it says, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair, pandemic, will not go on forever. Amen. The land of Zebulun, which means prince, and Naphtali, which means strife, will be humbled. Prince of strife will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which is the rest of the world, not Israel, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness, someone say deception, will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. It's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's not about black and white. What I I learned early on in this pandemic is that it's about light and dark. Not who's right and who's wrong, not black and white, light and dark. Interesting thing about somebody who's deceived, who's walking in darkness. I want you to think about if you're ever asleep in your bed late at night, it's pitch black, and you get up out of that bed, and you open your eyes, and you can't really see anything. You're trying to, trying to adjust and figure out your surroundings. Maybe you, you go to the bathroom, and what's the first thing that you do when you flip on that light? 
you shield your eyes. You turn, you close your eyes again. Because you've been, because you've been asleep so long, or because you've been in a place of darkness so long, the light is actually painful to you. You can't just, just open your eyes and bam the light and, and it just feel good. It's not, it's not a natural thing. You need time to adjust. People who have been walking in darkness for a long time, you can't just shine a flashlight in their face and expect them to like it. They need time to adjust. They've been deceived for so long. They've been walking in darkness for so long. Yes, they need the light. Yes, it's the right thing for them. But you can't just shine the light right in their eyeballs and expect them to be happy about it. You are called to be a light. You are called to let your light shine. You are called to emulate the light of Jesus Christ. But we need to be doing it in a way that doesn't hurt them, that doesn't cause them to want to shield their eyes or turn away or go back to the darkness. That we need to be a light, an example near them, around them. Give them time to adjust. Let them see what we're doing. Because when we let our light shine, they will see the truth. Jesus will show them the truth. We don't even have to tell them the truth. Jesus is justice. Jesus will show them exactly what they need when they need it, need it but they're not, they're not ready to just flip on the Jesus light right away. We have to show them. We have to be an example for them. We have to model for them how to do that in a way where they're not turned off, where they're not turned back. And to finish out that scripture, we're going to go uh, verse 6 and 7. For, uh, for a child is born to us, a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven armies will make this happen. Going from a place of darkness and despair, going from a place, Prince of Strife, to a place of light, to a place of the Prince of Peace. That's the transition that needs to happen right now. That's the transition that can happen right now if we let Jesus, if we let his light shine, if we get, give him space to work and operate. And I'm running out of time now, but there's a few more pillars. The common defense. Common defense has been of primary importance for us in this nation. It was only maybe in the Civil War that that was ever actually on shaky ground. Common defense, the military, has been a primary support of our structure. And thank you to all who have served in the military or do right now. Part of that common defense. Abraham Lincoln, in a speech before the Civil War, said, A house divided against itself cannot stand. But I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall. But I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. The question that we have to ask ourselves today and as we prepare to vote is which thing do we want this nation to be to come, to become? Do we want it to be a house that's established on the principles, the founding of God, that, that his structure, his order that's outlined in this preamble to the Constitution, the pillars that he has established, he's given us the authority to determine who's in power, and we, God's people, need to say that it's time for us to stand up. It's time for us to be counted and to step in to the calling that God has given us to support these principles, to support these pillars, to support the foundation, the authority that God has established in this country. 
And I'm going to skip down. Another one is promote general welfare. And then number, number six is liberty. Liberty. I think this is so important because I think this is the one that's, that's currently under attack the most. And it will be the most affected by the outcome of this election. COVID-19 has given us a glimpse of socialism. And socialism underlying is really the removal of liberties for the common good. What a few people determine is the common good. And what a few people can do to incite a mob to say, give us power and we'll take care of you. Give us power and you won't have to worry about anything. And they do this by attacking each of these other pillars, each of these other principles upon which this nation was founded. They divide and conquer. They want to disunify this nation. They want to, they want to isolate groups of people. They want to cause separation. They want to cause a, a civil war. They incite riots and anarchy to, subjure, to subvert justice and disturb the peace. They blur the lines of who the real enemy is. We know who's behind COVID-19. We know who's really behind all this. But, but the, the enemy is crafty. The enemy is deceiving. And he's trying to, to, to push off this, these principles. These, he's trying to push off the ability for us to stay together and, and say, you don't, need, you don't need the way it was I have a new way. I have a new way. Even though this has worked for 244 years, the longest running democracy on the face of the planet, you don't need to do that anymore. That, that, that I can take care of you. The system, the government can take care of you. They do this by creating a dependence on the government. And it's a counterfeit welfare system. That's not how welfare was established when it's written in, in that preamble. Welfare in the preamble is about health. It's about happiness. It's about fortunes. It's about the government not enacting rules and regu regulations that's going to prevent people from having those things. It never says in that preamble that the government is going to provide welfare. No, it says it's going to promote the general welfare. It's going to establish a system of government that will make welfare the ability for you to be healthy, the ability for you to be happy, the ability for you to generate income, a fortune. That's what the government's purpose is. And the final pillar is posterity. And this is so important. This is what we're fighting for because this is our future. This is generation after generation after generation. The decisions that we make right now as a nation will affect not just our kids, not just our grandkids, but generation after generation after generation. Perhaps never in my lifetime have I seen a, a more pivotal point in our country where we decide right now the future. We decide right now because God established us as the authority which direction this nation is going to go. And we need to say we know the direction that it needs to go we, because we know how it was founded. We know who established the authority. We know the principles of this book need to be propagated into our future for our kids and their kids. And as it says in that song, from generation to generation to generation, and our children and their children and their children children and on. That's the responsibility that we have right here, right now. So how do we do that? In 2 Peter 1, 5-7, it says, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patience endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone as I read that verse or that, pa that that passage of scripture those verses I think oh yeah get get to the first couple all right I'm good and then it goes on like and it goes on and like oh man there's areas so many areas in my life where am, am I doing this with self-control and patient endurance 
How much of that do we need right now? How much of that is being demonstrated right now? I think that's, that's a, a good verse to, to wrap it up on. That's a good verse that, that we can leave with. And, and the, so what can I do? Just remember that verse, 2 Peter 1, 5, 7. Whenever you feel like you're in a place where, where you don't know how to address those principles in your life or, or what's going on in your life, just go back to that verse. Highlight it, underline it, mark it in your phone, do whatever you need to do. Post it on your mirror so you see it every morning. As you list those things off, That'll give you your vision for your day. That'll give you a vision for your household, for your life. And the the question I want to ask you today, and we're going to end with this, is what are the principles, what are the pillars in your life? Proverbs 9.1, wisdom has hewn out seven principles. How many principles? How many pillars? How many foundations do you have in your life, in your world? What are they? Do your principles line up with the principles of the Bible? Can you draw parallels from what you see in your life, in your house, in your world, in your kids, in your business? Are there principles, are there parallels there that that echo what was written in the Bible, that echo what this nation was founded on? We need to line up our principles. And maybe we need to repair some pillars. Maybe there's there's some things, there's certainly some things in this country right now, some of these pillars, domestic tranquility, knocked down that we need to reestablish, that we need to reform. And we are existing in this nation because there are these seven principles. And there's several others, but these are the ones that the founding fathers pinned. These are the ones that they said, these are the most important principles for us right now to frame this nation, to frame this constitution. This is what's most important. And we're still existing today because not, not all seven of those pillars have been knocked down. Maybe a couple have been knocked down. And right now, there's certainly some that are shaky but we still have strength because of those principles. So what are your principles? What are your pillars? What are you founded on? What is your house founded on? I want you to take that. I want you to chew on it. I want you to go back, maybe with your husband or wife or with your kids, maybe in your business, in your workplace. What are the things that you need to rebuild? What are the foundations that you need to redig, to re-support? What are the, the, the foundations, the principles, the pillars that are strong right now for you? What do you need to protect? What is the enemy doing right now to come against those pillars, to come against those principles? We need to be aware of the tactics of the enemy. But here's the, here's the thing. The enemy's tactics haven't changed. For 6,000, 7,000 years of recorded human history, the tactics of the devil, Satan, the real enemy, have not changed. He's, you, he's still using the same tools. Steal, kill, destroy. He's still using the same methods. So we actually need to learn from history. So we need to take the lessons that our founding fathers laid out for us. We need to take the the victories that they have won and apply them to our life as well. Can we do that today? Why don't we stand as we close? I want to pray for you all. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are able to take authority over our lives, over our world, because we give it to you. We say, you are our God, you are our King. We give you honor and praise, and we thank you for the authorities that you've established. You've given us, we God's people, the authority to determine the future of this nation, to determine how it's run, how it's leaded, and who represents us. God, we thank you that we will not give away that authority. And maybe if there's areas in our lives where we feel like the the authority, we have neglected it, that we're not 
caring, we're not tending for, we're not supporting the authority like we should in our own life, in our own world. We thank you that today, God, we have the opportunity to take it back. We're taking back the authority under your banner, under your name, under heaven, God, that this nation is established, that our life is established, that our families, our businesses, our kids, our future, our prosperity is established in heaven. In Jesus' mighty name. Somebody say amen. Amen, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.